This is Margaret Copeman Frankwitz with another episode of Diabetic Survival, or um, what Casey Casey used to say, the rest of the story. Oh wait, is that Casey Casey? I think so. I'm not sure. I don't know. Anyways, it was a long time ago. Okay, so anyways, I was telling a little bit, I, I actually started going into a horror story. And you know, this is kind of interesting how this happened. I mean, it is October, so of course you're going to hear all kinds of ghost stories, etc. Um, things that happen, well, um, anybody who knows me personally knows that my childhood was an absolute trauma. So, knowing that, um, my, my childhood was traumatic, and I mean, I know a lot of people who's, who's had pretty bad childhoods, too. I mean, your parents, they do the best they can, but, you know, you, when your children having children, it's just kind of a mess. It's like, I don't know children in the corn or something children raising children anyways I did have a mom and a dad so I had a pretty good start you know um, I think it's pretty cool to have parents because then when a parent starts getting a little bit off track then you have the other parent to reel them in and go hey um, well this is the family structure and we should really do it this way so you know fam- family units are important and of course that's dissolved over the years because you know let's not blame the woman here let's let's go ahead and blame the man okay Uh, men want to still be boys and have their toys and they think it's going to mess up their lives to have children which you know what I don't care if it's true or not you've got a responsibility if you breed them you got to feed them period okay moms out there usually take the brunt of this now I know some fathers have really stepped up to the plate and have wanted to take care of their kids I happen to have one of those dads that stepped up to the plate my dad was twisted though okay so Um, If you've been listening to anything about the last episode, I just started going into this horror story and I'm like, you know what, I need to run with this because this is perfect for Halloween and, you know, I got triggered. Uh, My trigger word was goth and I I couldn't understand why my friend said it and I got to wait a week to actually talk to him and try to figure out what he was talking about. But, like, goth is nothing new to me. I just don't go around wearing, like... Uh, a badge of honor or being posh about it. Sometimes you're goth because of the way that you were raised. And so I know a lot of people fear goth. Sorry, I we're still human beings. We just have a sarcastic sense of humor. So um, I wouldn't consider myself goth, um, but I think a lot of people would, depending on or dependent upon the type of music that I listen to. Um, I do like black. I, I do favorite black, but I've tried to put some white in my outfits as well to give me some color and a little bit of reds and pinks on occasion. So I'm not totally goth. And my closet right now, if you looked at it, it looks like a normal closet. I'm very proud of myself. A couple of years ago, if you looked at my closet, yeah, it would be pretty black. Um, I do like black. Um, I'm kind of concerned about the whole labeling process because I don't know what kind of category they'd put me into and I am not a categorial type of person it's just like you know I enjoy goth type architecture I like black clothes there's some goth music like I grew up on the cure and Depeche Mode etc I like alternative music yeah this might be a surprise to a lot of you but you know you know in life you got to play like Jan Brady or something so um, oh, at least I should say the old life now is kind of a little bit twisted with COVID, but that's okay. Just think of Jan Brady with a COVID mask. Um, so I was getting into a little bit about 
my life. And it's really hard to talk about because, um, and most kids know this, and so I'm reaching out to you kids here too that are listening. It's very hard to control what happens at home because you, know, you have two parental figures that are actually making the decision no matter how crazy it is, you still have to go along with it even if you know in your heart is wrong. And um, that was the case of what I had to go through as a child. I had to do things that um, I knew was wrong and there was not a lot I could do about it because, of course, I have parents and my parents are telling me to do this. So, um, what, what, so something, when my friend said goth, I, it just triggered something in my mind and it reminds me of a time when and thank God my brother Charles is still alive to this day. Um, it reminds me about something when I was like five years old and our father, my mother had just had a seizure. She had uh, grand mal seizures and he had to take us to work. And I think I was like maybe four at the time and my little brother was like two or I might've been five and maybe been three. I think that was closer to what it was. but. Either way, I wasn't in school yet. So my father had to take us to work and he was working as a grocer, as a clerk. And this is Bullhead City area and it's like 120 freaking degrees outside. And uh, of course my father had to work his job. And one of the scary things that he told us was to keep the windows rolled up. Um, most people would know today that that will kill you. So, um, of course, it got unbearably hot in there, and I wanted to pay attention to my father's orders, but at the same time, um, I didn't want to, I was dying. I was concerned about myself, of course. I was in this car, and he rolled up the windows. It was 120 degrees. As you know, inside of a car, gets up to 180. And we had been there for a little while. I just couldn't stand anymore, so I got out of the car. I just defied my father's orders right on top of everything. I mean, I wasn't going to die in a hot car and I could actually open up a door. I figured it out. You know, I'm four, five, something like that. I figured it out. Um, anyways, I left my little brother in the car and luckily he was smart enough to roll down the window and he was pretty pissed off at me because I was keeping the door closed because our father had said to make sure to stay in the car and I figured at least if my little brother was staying in the car then I was sort of keeping orders. You know, this is, this is a bad map for a bad childhood. This is a bad map for um, growing up. Because it's like, if you know that the rules are impossible to keep, yet you're gonna keep other people in line with the rules, because that's the orders that you're given. Even though you know that they're wrong, um, you're willing to allow other people to suffer. So to my brother Charles, I'm really sorry. You never deserved that. And uh, I'm really glad that you're alive today and you're doing well at your job. You know, luckily he survived, thank God. He survived having an older sibling who listened to authoritative rule. Um, this is kind of like in today's society where we're being, I mean, we're, we're constantly bombarded with messages, get the vaccine, we don't care if it's safe or not. I mean, that's the small print that I'm telling you about that should be labeled underneath it is we don't care about you regardless. They're trying to eliminate you people. They're trying to get rid of you, point blank. You think I'm a conspiracy nut? Well, why are all the doctors saying it? Why is nobody listening to the doctors? Why are you listening to a guy in a suit in the White House 
when he's telling you to basically kill yourself. Because are you dumb enough to do it? Really? Because I'm not. At the age of five, I was defying my own father's orders to stay in a very hot car that could have reached up to 180 plus. But I was so scared to get in trouble that I kept my little brother in there. Who's now a big guy and has a family of his own, thank God. No permanent damage. He grew up just fine. But it could have killed him, right? And I would be responsible for that, right? Well, not really, because I was a kid. My father would have been responsible for that. But as you've heard in the last story, there have been instances like that. Um, so I don't think any, like my father, he was, he murdered Point Blank. Um, his stepmom died. If you haven't listened to the last episode, I would strongly encourage it because that's, that'll make this episode, it makes sense. And I'm also saying this because, you know, I, I mean, this happened back in 1999. This is like 20 plus years ago. And uh, so, I mean, it's all water under the bridge and both the victim and the perpetrator have both passed on. Uh, the remnants, which is their children, which received, I received absolutely no help, by the way, after my father did what he did. Um, but that's the point that I want to bring up to you is because there's multiple silent victims that never receive the help that they need ever. I mean, think about it. If your parents, like let's say you were a kid and your parents killed somebody and like nobody cared about your what happened to you because you're 20, you can take care of yourself. No, you can't. You will now live a life of misery because you have nobody to depend on. That's what you have. And of course my mother passed on when I was really young too. So I mean, that makes living life really hard on someone. But um, what does this have to do with diabetes? Why am I telling you this? Well, one, we're in the month of October, okay? So we gotta tell a lot of scary stories. And I don't know, I mean, there are some scarier stories than mine, like uh, Halloween or Jason or whatever, but you know, this is about diabetics. So this is more intriguing, right? So we're on the Diabetic Survival Channel talking about diabetics. Okay, so what happened to my stepmom? My stepmom died at the hands of my father. If you heard the last story, my father was actually in prison. I think it was either Florence or Tucson. I'm not quite sure because I wasn't allowed to actually visit because my father didn't want me there. Um, but I mean, he, he kind of bounced between the two. Uh, my father actually ended up dying in prison. Now, he wasn't necessarily in the prison cell. He was in the hospital. He had gone to one of the best heart surgeons in Tucson. I think it was Tucson. Yeah. To actually have a quadruple bypass. His heart was messed up. So um, he had suffered from some type of childhood disorder when he was younger. And um, which weakened his heart. So, of course, adding diabetes onto that when you get older, you have very slim chances of actually surviving uh, to the retirement age. Which kind of makes retirement a joke, but whatever. Interestingly enough, he had actually tried getting on disability. And he was denied disability. Now, this is back when he was in his 40s. I'm in my 40s now, so I can get disability if I decide to comply with income requirements, which I think are ridiculous. Um, I could actually get disability for my disorder of diabetes now. That's not something you could get back then. 
Um, you tried. You tried a couple of times. You failed. So even with a lawyer, I mean, I've already pretty much have been told, like, if I want to qualify for disability, what I would have to do. And I'm looking at the income requirements. I'm like, they're not going to prove me. So they're going to say, you're not disabled. You need to go back to work. Okay, which is fine. But we diabetics have some issues that uh, needs to be addressed by the working community if this is the case. If they want us to work harder, longer, work like a 20-year-old when we're like in our 40s and 50s, then they need to make they need to make it accessible for a diabetic to actually work there. And they're supposed to make accommodations for people who are disabled. I have found in life that that's not the case. They just want you to work harder. They want you to scan more. They want you to lift more. They want you to uh, go leaps and bounds above the next guy because if you don't, there's going to be some 20-year-old that steals your job, which is okay because minimum wage hasn't changed in 20 years. So go ahead and steal it. Steal away. I don't. I mean, I think that my parents did the best that they could considering they were raising six-plus kids. Um, now, of course, my mother passed on at 17, so my father was actually raising my brothers and sisters. Uh, didn't really necessarily have to raise me because he, you know, I, I went into foster care. I chose to go into foster care because I didn't want to live with either parent. I knew they were both crazy. So um, I, I guess I thought more like an adult by the time I was 14 than most 14-year-olds did. Um, and I really haven't changed from the time I was 14. Isn't that really sad? Okay, I have changed <laughs> a little bit. I'm a little bit more responsible, not much. Um, but I was kind of on my own at 14. Well, I was sort of. I was living in foster care until I was 17, actually. And uh, because I was just too young to live on my own. And I knew that both parents, both my parents were not appropriate. So um, I decided to be a more appropriate adult with a, a new family. And so they kind of cut me off for that, even though I never officially went to the courts or anything to actually have that, that taken care of because, you know, I still wanted to be a part of my family's life. And, uh, you know, I still wanted my brothers and sisters. I wasn't divorcing my family. They divorced me when, when my, my parents actually got divorced, right? So that's how I felt as a kid or teenager, actually. And I felt that if they couldn't get along, well, then they didn't need me around either because uh, that involved me too. I don't know how some teenagers just can sit idly by and watch their parents get divorced and, you know, their family splits. And they're just like, eh, whatever, it doesn't concern me. Because I've always seen a family unit as a family unit, so each one of us has a part within that family unit. So I think about it a little bit differently than I guess most people do. Um... But I think that the reason being is because of how tight-knit that we actually were in our dysfunction. Um, that a separation of that dysfunction was a complete, a complete abandonment to what the family actually stood for. So this is the stuff I noticed as a child that a lot of pastors are actually talking about, about not divorcing and stuff like that and try to stand together for your families. Um, but, you know, obviously common sense should rule out. I mean, obviously there's some pretty cool spouses, so I can understand why divorce actually occurs. And I think God understands this as well. I mean, obviously he doesn't want you with some kind of, like, you know, crazy 
murdering sex pervert or whatnot. I, I don't know, I'm just throwing some stuff out there. But I mean, obviously divorce does happen for a multitude of reasons. And divorcing just because you are tired of being married is probably not a reason to divorce. And I've seen that too, and I just kind of have to scoff at it because that person is about as shallow as shallow can be, right? They have no content whatsoever in their character. Okay, but anyways, I'm aggressing. Back to my story. So my father being the single guy that he was, got married to this lady. Her name was Beth. And Beth had this beautiful house in Flagstaff. Just just absolutely gorgeous. I think there was like seven rooms and she decorated the whole thing and uh, at Christmas time where she wanted to have a Christmas tree in every room, which was kind of crazy, but you know, hey, to each their own. And then if you went outside, there was a bunch of pine trees all around and they had pine trees that actually sprinkled up to the main street. Well, she probably had, she had this ridiculously long driveway to get to her, you know, seven bedroom mansion type place. And it was just very eloquent, um, you know, sitting on, on this perfect piece of property, smack dab in the middle of Flagstaff, one of the hottest areas to actually live at the time. She had things going for her. She was a nurse uh, for, the, for the local hospital. She was actually a cancer nurse. So of course, you know, when she passed on seven years later, it wasn't detrimental. But, um, and of course she had three beautiful children. So then she met my dad and my dad's like, oh, you have three beautiful children? Well, I have three beautiful children. So one of the first things that he did wrong is he did admit that he had six children, not three. And they're from the same woman. Uh, my mother who passed on a couple of years earlier. So he was feeling like a widower, even though he was a divorcee. Nothing wrong with that. Um, he painted a beautiful picture for her. They ended up getting married. And you think, okay, cool, they'll live happily ever after. Well, she had a lot of debt at the time. And I think this is the story, of course, that I'm getting into that I'm bringing out that was actually from the police records. From what my father was saying, she was in a debt. And uh, so he used his credit cards over the years to actually pay off her debt. Um, and he, yes, he was working a job as well. So they're both working part-time jobs, I believe. And, you know, every month they'd come up short. Um, well, probably because they're working part-time jobs, but, you know. I mean, I'm working two jobs and I still come up short. I'm working a job and a half, full-time and other ones part-time. Um, so they had a mountain of debt behind them, too. So, um... There, there was a, a, a troublesome relationship. It was really good in the beginning, but then it started getting really troublesome. And uh, of course, at the time, there were her three children living in the house, and then my youngest brothers and sisters living in the house. So um, the way that she was causing the rift was because well, when my dad finally came open, oh yeah, I actually have six instead of three. She's like, well, you told me about three kids, so I have room for them. But you didn't tell me about the other three, so they can't ever be on this property. So, you know, that, that made him a little bit stir-crazy a little bit, you know. You know, you got caught in a lie. Now, mind you, audience, this is why you never lie, okay? Because you don't want to get caught in this trap. It all started with a lie. Don't lie about how many kids you have. If you have 20 kids out there, you better admit it. Okay, let the woman choose 
yes or no if she's going to accept you with all those kids. You don't have to be married, okay? None of us do. So the reason why I'm telling you the background is to show you the seeds that were sown in order to get to the point where he was at. Now you already know that he ended up murdering the stepmom. Well, okay, so it's manslaughter. You know, interchangeable. We don't really, I mean, they say it was manslaughter. He was in, in prison for child endangerment because of my three younger brothers and siblings, uh, three younger uh, brothers and sister and my stepsister and my two stepbrothers, okay? So he was in there for, you know, X amount of years for each child. And he was, from what I remember, he was only in there for the time served uh, for his children, not necessarily her children, which I find kind of interesting. Um, so I don't know the whole story on that, but um, like I said, he did, did pass away in prison. And if anybody can like write a book and help me straighten this out, that'd be great because this would be a great story one of these days. Um, because we could call him like the diabetic murderer or something creative like that. Um, <laughs> anyways, um, and no offense to the, the victims and all this tragedy because I'm just trying to, uh, reflect on what I know about it. Okay. So yeah, me young adult at the time, I'm just absolutely petrified because I'm like 20 or something. And so I have these brothers and sisters and I'm here renting a room from this, this lady and absolutely no, I don't have room for my brothers and sisters, nor do I have any support from my family or my five aunts that I had or, or is it six aunts? Yeah. Nobody was willing to actually help out. They just kind of like wiped their, their hands of it a long time ago and had nothing to do with my brothers and sisters. Um, I did have an aunt on my mother's side though that ended up taking in my three younger brothers and sisters. Thank goodness they did because if they wouldn't have, um, I would have been going crazy because my younger siblings would have been placed in foster care. So luckily what happened to um, Beth's children though is luckily the grandmother got involved and actually helped them get um, an apartment to actually house all of them and take care of them which is something my grandmother should have done, but she chose not to. Not exactly sure why, but um, you love who you love, I guess. So my side of the family could have done something nice because they had the money to do it. It's just that when you're rich and cheap, you just don't care. And that includes your grandchildren. Definitely don't want to be part of that. Okay, anyways, moving on to the story. So it is true, I do come from my parent or my dad's side is, is definitely, they're a bunch of work. So, I mean, if there's ever people that you don't want to know, you probably don't want to know them. They're the kind that's nice to your face and will allow you to do nice things for them. But God forbid, if you're ever in a crisis situation, if they will ever help you out. As a matter of fact, I have not had anyone in my family help me ever unless they were getting something out of it. Isn't that sad? Okay, it just goes to show that you don't really need family. So if you're a foster kid out there or adopted, you don't really need them. You can do fine on your own. You're gonna have to struggle a little bit, but you'll be okay. Okay, on with the story. So my father lost a lot when he actually went to prison. Um, 
And, and mind you, this all stemmed from a lie. This is why you don't lie. Don't, like, lie ever. Because this all started out with him saying, I only have three kids when he had six. That's how it started. Now, mind you, I was 20 years old or whatnot. I mean, there's no reason why he had to lie about it. It's just, it was just, it sounded like one of those little harmless lies. And the chaos that ensued following it was just absolutely an enormous, an enormous, amazing, absolutely amazing that bad thing, amazingly bad. Let me, let me clarify that. Amazingly bad thing that actually happened just because of one little lie. By saying he only had three kids when he indeed had six. So, make sure you tell the truth because you don't want that coming out in the wash. So, again, my father has always maintained his innocence when he was in prison. Um, of course, I'd hear. Now, when it came to my father, then I'd hear from my, my family and stuff. But it's not like I could do anything anyways because... He had told me exclusively not to contact him if he went to prison. I was supposed to be, he was supposed to be dead to me. And it was the hardest decision I had ever made. Now, for your own family member to tell you, I am dead to you. Do not contact me. I'm going to prison. It's a bad place. Um, think about that for a minute. If, if your loved one, if your mother, your father told you that, what would you think? I mean, one, you'd want to defy him. And I've defied my father a few times, right? Such as not staying in an extremely hot car and dying myself. But um, it was pretty obvious to me at an early age that my parents didn't really give a crap about me. So, um, you know, they just had me there for, you know, tax, child credit, whatever. So I should just coexist in this family until I'm 18 and able to be on my own. And of course, it was 14 and on my own. Um, through foster care because they just, you know, some people just are not good people. And, you know, I, it really hurts me because they always, you know, the, the old saying goes, apple doesn't fall far from the tree. I have absolutely everything in my power to not be like the bad seed, to not be like the evil that I actually saw in my own family, on both sides of my family. So, I don't like to be judged based off of how my family treated me when I was younger, nor what I actually went through when I was younger. And my brothers and sisters, they feel like I had it the hardest, and I think they had it the hardest. So, um, they grew up, I believe, to be decent people for the most part. So, I just thought I would share that just because it's kind of like a gruesome story, but, you know, it's... It is a gruesome story. It's a sad thing that happened. Um, but, for instance, on in my family, um, everybody was diabetic or pre-diabetic or is fighting diabetes right now. And because it's so um, prevalent in our family on my father's side. And this has nothing to do with any type of generational curse or anything of that nature. This has everything to do with what you eat. <laughs> so I'm breaking that myth right here and right now, in case you're thinking it. Because it's definitely diet. So you eat sweets, anything sweet, it's going to turn into sugar, which is going to, if you have, if you're predisposed to diabetes, if it links in your family, if it's in your genetic trait or your makeup, you're going to have diabetes. And um, 
that's that. But uh, the thing is, is being able to live a normal life with it is quite amazing. Like, I'm a diabetic, but I feel pretty normal today. And, um, of course, you know, I've gone on and on about keto. But this is telling me that um, preservatives and stuff like that that they, they put in foods actually trigger something within your system to actually trigger diabetes. So knowing that, you know, stay away from the hot dogs and the deli meats and you know, preservatives in the foods and stuff. Um, keto does take a while to learn, but I mean, it's as easy as flipping that, that label on that food and reading what the ingredients of what it has in it and then making an informed, intelligent decision at the grocery store and it starts with you. So it doesn't start with food surface. It doesn't start with, uh, you know, Dennis Pollock. Dennis Pollock can't make you eat healthy. You don't know who Dennis Pollock is? Look him up. Look him up on YouTube. He can't force anybody to eat healthy. He can't force anybody to test. All he can do is be inspirational and give the good advice that he gives in order to help you to uh, make decent lifestyle habits. Now, mind you, I wish I had a decent father. And, and, you know, I am jumping around all over the place because that's what I do. I talk best that way. But, um, you know, I go back to, to afterthoughts of things that I should have said. And it really does disturb me. Well, one, that I couldn't help my father when he was in prison. It, it bothered me a lot that I couldn't get him what he needed, the help that he needed and stuff that I had no idea what was going on. And he wanted to keep it that way because some people, they just always need the adversary or something. Or they always need somebody to be against. And, um, you know, knowing some of the information that I did know, he definitely wanted to make sure that I didn't let that out. Because it probably would have went from, if somebody would have listened to me in the court systems, it probably would have not have been just manslaughter charges. It probably would have been first degree murder that he would have been charged with. But, um, unfortunately, I couldn't get the detectives or the lawyers to listen. So, I was pretty for, or pretty uh, blank, or pretty straight up, I should say, with what I had said. And I was also scared to death. And I was scared to death to go on the stand. I was scared to death to even be in the courthouse. I was just, I, my anxiety was through the roof. I, I think that that day defined my anxiety. And uh, the childhood trauma that I had actually received, because you do have to go through a bit of trauma to go into foster care, mind you, um, actually accelerated that. So, so yeah, I grew up in a very depressing, horrific, nightmarish family where a lot of bad stuff happened. I try not to focus on the bad try to focus on the good and I would have to say that being an adult has been amazing because I've been able to actually define myself now there's a lot of things that I'm afraid to do because I'm afraid it's going to take me down that road of being a horrific parent like what I saw in my own family I don't want to be that person 
I've never wanted to be that person. I've strove so, I've, I've, I've worked so hard to not be that horrific, ugly person that I saw from my parents. Where money and greed just drove them to the point of death. I mean, what happened is early death. It wasn't worth it, was it? So yeah, it was, this was the most horrific story to me. I mean, okay, Freddy Krueger has one on me. And uh, what are some of those other horror flicks? I can't watch horror flicks, by the way. One, because I know they're fake. And two, because my life was a horror movie growing up. Every bit of it. Every bit of it was a horror flick. So... I don't live my life like that today. I come to find out I was actually pretty, I mean, back when I was a teenager, I thought I was pretty screwed up. As an adult, I feel pretty freaking normal. So, I feel normal, I feel smart, I feel safe. There's a lot of things I do feel, but one of the things that I don't experience anymore is the horror that I went through when I was younger. And so, I'm blessed in that way. You see, I don't think that there's anything in life that can actually deal efficiently, efficiently, I should say, with childhood trauma, the traumas that you go through, such as, you know, hiding in the closet or under the bed so horrible things can happen to you, or keeping your mouth shut when you know crime is actually occurring. So, um... Because, you know, when we were younger, now, mind you, nowadays it's a little bit different. I mean, you just slap your kid on the hand, you're going to jail or something crazy like that. But back in the days, they treated children like luggage. Um, perfect example of this was uh, my mother's house was unlivable. And I was there for, I guess, summer vacation or something. This was before I actually went into foster care. So her house was absolutely unlivable. She had, she had just had clothes all over the floor. I mean, there must have been like four feet of clothes. There were bugs in the house. It smelled nasty. Um, my brothers and sisters were living in filth. I mean, I felt really bad for them. I mean, they felt bad for me. I felt bad for them. And so I was there, and I'm like, I can't live here. There's nothing I can do. Well, what my father was doing is because he knew my mother was like this, she was very extremely neglectful, was that he was sending me there because he was hoping that I would actually take care of the situation that needed an adult to be there and to take care of. I was not the adult to take care of the situation like that. I was overwhelmed. I think I was 12 or 13, then maybe 13. I was ab absolutely overwhelmed by what I saw. It definitely, and I hadn't, hadn't seen her place up until then, and it definitely um, drove me over the edge a little bit, where I refused to actually sleep in her house, and I was just left there. I mean, talk about childhood, child abuse. I mean, not only were my own brothers and sisters going through it, but now I was dropped off in that, that it looked like a dump is what it looked like. So um, what I did is, and I had brought my stuff with me from 
another state. I was actually living in another state at the time. Laid out my sleeping bag out on her porch and I ended up sleeping out on the porch because I felt that it was safer on the porch than it was in her house. And of course I had tried to encourage my brothers and sisters to join me but they they had their own rooms and their own mindset of what was normal, what wasn't, even though I knew it wasn't right. Anyways, uh, during that period of time, I guess she got angry at me because I refused to babysit or something. Because I had been ba- doing a lot of babysitting for her. But, you know, I don't feel like you always should have to babysit your siblings. I, I don't. And I, it seemed like I was number one babysitter and I had other things going on at the time. So my time as a teenager was not respected at all. Um, I just always seemed to be, you know, prisoner to her women calls. So I had something I was going to do that day. She decided she was going to change my plans and have me do her, you know, raise her kids. And this happened a lot, mind you. This happened 99% of the time. I was her babysitter, which is the reason, hence, why she wanted me there was to be her babysitter. And I just flat out refused. So what she did is because I said no, she called the cops on me. And even my brother at the time thought it was ridiculous. This is my brother Charles, and we we took off. We're like, okay, we know our mom's crazy. She's calling the cops on us. We need to go protect ourselves. I mean, this this is evident. I mean, she's here throwing the law in our face and telling us what normal is. So now my new normal is, is if I say no to something, then I'm going to be thrown in jail. And trust me, they've done that too. Because back in the 80s, children were nothing but luggage to the police department. Our lives didn't matter. So you want to talk about lives mattering? A child's life didn't matter back in the 80s. So I think the system's idea of that was, was that people were still good people and that they would raise their own properly. No, wasn't the case in my family. So, you know, when most people couldn't dream of of ever leaving their parents, because their parents are just amazing, wonderful people, I had parents that I just wanted to get away from, and I didn't care what happened to me in the future. I needed to get away from these horrible people that just meant to make me uh, a victim of the prison system. So... It's only natural for me to not really, you know, think that prison does much of anything but to punish people for no reason at all. Because if they aren't really punishing you for the right reasons, then, you know, it's... I've had some horrific things happen to me. And um, the thing is, is that you can't get any more horrific than that. I mean, you can't tell the best ghost story unless it's for real. And uh, <laughs> it's, it's kind of hard to make the truth into reality and make it sound, wow, this is entertaining. I don't even know if this is entertaining to any of you, but I, I just thought it was kind of cool because my father was a diabetic, you know? <laughs> so he was a diabetic and he caused all these problems. Um, yeah, he's the new Freddy Krueger. <laughs> so. Um, there were other horrible stuff that, ha- that happened too. I'm not trying to, of course, deny anything bad happened because a lot of bad stuff did happen. 
mainly me getting thrown in jail a lot because I wouldn't babysit my siblings. But where most people would see, I just don't want to babysit my siblings, they didn't see that. I did actually babysit my siblings 95% of the time, and I just wanted free time to go out and be a kid. And I wasn't allowed to do that. They wanted to keep me weird. One day, they're going to have to answer to God for that. They're going to have to answer to why they took away my childhood, because what that did is it stripped me from the friends I should have made. And I wasn't able to. One thing I did find though is after I went into foster care was that I went from being a very unpopular kid to a very popular kid and having lots of friends and belonging to lots of many different organizations and um, I didn't actually put my finger on it until recently. I didn't think anything of it until recently. But because I was able to look like a normal kid, I was able to have my friends. And when I was able to have my friends, I found that people actually liked me and I liked them. And some of these friends to this day I still have and I cherish them. You know, there are friends that, that we've partied company and went our separate ways and stuff. But um, I think that the friends that you make in high school and as a young adult become the most important friendships you'll ever make. The problem with becoming friends in the, you know, as an older adult is you're suspicious of everybody. Not that you want to be because there's so many people out there to screw you over. Okay. So anyways, I hope you enjoyed my, my heart-to-heart talk here. It was kind of like I wanted to tell you a little bit of a horror story and uh, kind of, I'm not like a, I, I basically wanted to show you that I'm not like a Pollyanna or like a, Brady Bunch type person or anything of that nature. Um, I do like that stuff, mind you, because it's the complete opposite of what I grew up in. But um, I'm certainly not of the Adams family. I love Adams family, by the way. <laughs> but even though I kind of grew up with the Adams family and all their dysfunctions and stuff of that nature, I have not embraced that lifestyle because it's. You know, I'm, I'm the, the odd one out. I, I want to be normal. I want to be as normal as possible in black clothes. <laughs> so, yeah, I found that humor, so I had to actually add that. Um, but I just thought it was kind of funny. One of, my, one of my very, very, very good close friends actually told me that he was goth. And I'm here thinking, he's almost 50 years old like me. He's going to tell me that he's goth? If I didn't figure this out back in the 20s, I would have never figured this out. There's a reason why we're friends. It's a dark humor thing. But <laughs> anyway, so it kind of catapulted all this whole, this, this entire story because um, everything that's happened has been so morbid in childhood that it was absolutely the perfect Halloween story for October for diabetic survival. So anyways, life is good now. Um, still have your ups and I still have my ups and downs. Um, still defining myself at the moment. But um, you know, diabetics come in all shapes, forms, and fashions. And this diabetic girl just wants to do something good for humanity. Wants to take the bad that has happened to me when I was younger, ignore it, kind of in a way, and just go out and do good things. 
But if you remember, I'm always telling people to be kind to each other. Um, I'm always encouraging people. You know, occasionally, I, I should say, I shouldn't say always, but I, I actually like to emphasize doing charitable things for either organizations or for people. Sometimes it's just your neighbor or your family member. Just do something nice. Don't expect anything in return because that's just not going to happen. That's not realistic. If you get something back, uh, you're doing something wrong. Um, but uh, do that for your own self and for your own soul because that helps heal you. Now, we all have had to deal with childhood trauma of some form of fashion or another where um, either we came from families where we were too loved, kind of like my kitten, my kitten's really loved, by the way, or we come from from uh, family trauma where we weren't loved at all because there's so many of us, you know, it was like they just didn't know what to do. And of course, um, with my both my mother and father being the youngest siblings, I mean, they didn't have to deal with other siblings, so they had no idea. They didn't have like, you know, nieces and nephews, I guess, to where they could learn to actually see what raising children was actually like in, in reality. So um, things happen. So anyways, I'm going to go ahead and end today's topic. I want to thank you so much for listening. Please make sure to like and share. Um, like and share so that I can actually get up there in the ratings so that um, I can make a little bit of money on this. Because I've, I've put in a lot of different episodes. And if you've ever been at one of those jobs that you're doing over and over again, but you can pay like a dollar an hour or something like that, or maybe 50 cents a day, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about and when you put in a lot of effort towards it you're just like gee whiz I sure hope one of these days it starts paying off I really enjoy doing this I've been doing this for a year and really need really need that 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 those likes on there so that I can continue this so make sure to like and share love you guys you don't have to buy a darn thing either so just like and share um, maybe share to your Facebook page or to that cousin you know is a diabetic. Um, if not this episode, one of the former episodes, it might actually help them. I know this episode is just kind of like, I, I don't know. If this is your first time listening, you're listening to these episodes. Um, I just want you to know if you actually go back and listen to some of my other episodes on diabetes, like 99% of the information that I actually give out there is because of questions I've asked as a diabetic and so I figured these questions are going to come up for you eventually too and I'm just trying to accelerate your learning so that you can catch up to your diabetes disorder so you can kind of reverse it. So um, I try to give as much interesting and informational advice as I can, you know, good advice because there's a lot of bad advice out there too, people. And if I ever make a mistake or anything of that nature, I'm going to be the first person on the air to actually correct that, but I've done a really good bang-up job with so far with information that I've been able to provide, and so far I can honestly say I can't take any of it back because that's how good of advice it is. Pretty solid. Um, but if anything changes in the diet world, like if I hear that keto is a failure diet, by all means, I will be the first person to let you know on this channel. So please like, please subscribe, get all the news updates that you can. And know that there's somebody rooting for you. This this girl, the diabetic, is rooting for you, the diabetic. That we may both have a great life. 
All right. Again, this is Margaret Cooper Franklitz. Go ahead, signing out. Until next time, be kind to each other and have a great day. Thank you.